please turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Well, we're looking, friends, at this account in, here in chapter 11, a uh, very well-known account. I think I'm sure all of us have heard of it. Um, very famous historical event uh, that took place not so long uh, after the flood, just a hundred years after the flood. And I'm sure we all know about it because of the, the languages. This is where all the languages of the world uh, began. This is the origin of languages before this time, as we'll see in a moment, everyone just spoke one single uh, language. But also here is something else, something uh, uh, which is remarkable and uh, stunning really to see is the rebellion of the people. This, the God had told them to go out into the different parts of the world, to inhabit and to replenish the different parts of the earth and they, they started off okay, but then very quickly they stopped and they builded, uh, decided to build uh, this city and this tower. It wasn't just the, the amazing thing, in a sense, it wasn't just one individual who came up and decided to stop. It was the whole company of them. We trust that the godly were probably not on there. Those who are of the line of Shem probably uh, uh, avoided uh, joining in uh, with them, but all the rest uh, were joined together, a, a, a public rebellion, a group rebellion against uh, the Lord and against what his express command to go out. So this is a very stunning thing, a confederacy not for good, but for evil and for rebellion. And it's like we read of, isn't it, in Psalm uh, 2, the kings of the earth gather themselves together to fight against the Lord and against his anointed. And what was the Lord's response? The Lord's in heaven. He laughed at their attempts to overthrow him and to go against him. Well, friends, uh, this incident 
uh, has got a lot, uh, of course, to teach us. And uh, we, as we go through it, uh, we, uh, we trust the Lord will bless us and help us. These, uh, this incident, uh, firstly to say this incident occurred uh, before the events, before the dispersion. We looked at the dispersion uh, in chapter 10 uh, in our last study. Uh, chapter 11, these first nine verses actually took place before uh, that uh, dispersion. We read in chapter 10 and verse 25, And unto Eber were born two sons, the name of one was Peleg, uh, which means uh, division. And for in his days was the earth divided. So it, it took place uh, in, the, in the time of Peleg, and who was the great-grandson of uh, Shem. And it happened, as I said, a hundred years uh, after the flood. So verse, uh, let's go through it. Verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one uh, speech. Everyone was able to communicate with each other without any issues, without any problems. One speech refers to the vocabulary, the words that they had, the, the matter of the language. They were all common words that they had in common. One language, the word, in, uh, the word language there in the Hebrew is actually lip, and it speaks about the, the organ of our articulation. It's like in English, we, we must use our lips if you want to speak clearly and enunciate your words clearly. Uh, lips and mouth and jaw and teeth all, the, all combined together. But here the lips is, is, uh, is singled out. They spoke, we could say, this, this is the form of the language, uh, the way that the, they spoke the language, with the, right, with the intonations, the stress, the infle inflections, the accent even, all we could say was very clearly articulated and understood by everyone. Was, we could say, it suggests to us that it was easy for people to communicate with one another. Sometimes it's difficult, even in our own country. Uh, you, go up, <laughs> you go up to certain parts of, of uh, England or Scotland and they're, they're speaking English, but you can't quite follow clearly what they're saying because of accents and intonations uh, and so on which come uh, into, into play. But uh, here it seems people were getting on uh, pretty well with each other easily. Uh, verse 2, and it came to pass as they journeyed uh, from the east, uh, they found a plain in the land of Shina, and they dwelt there. God had told them to move out, go out into the allocated places of the earth, and they'd started off well. They began, they left uh, the, the place where they were, and they, uh, they left, uh, left it and um, moved out uh, as in obedience, but they hadn't got uh, very far before they came to a standstill. They, they came to a stop. They were based most likely in Ararat initially, uh, where the, the, the ark had landed, and they traveled, as we read, uh, eastwards. But when they came to this land of Shina, which is uh, in old Mesopotamia and uh, Babylonia around that area, a plain between uh, two rivers, Euphrates and Tigris, in what is now in modern-day uh, Iraq. So when they came to this plain, they said, we'll stop here. And they decided to set up a home, well, a temporary home, and then to move on, but a permanent home 
they decided uh, to, uh, to, to set up in this place. There were no stones uh, in the area because it was a plain, so they decided to make bricks. And the bricks we read were burnt uh, in the fire, burnt thoroughly, which is different from bricks which would have been just dried in the sun. Bricks which were burnt spoke of durability. They would be more permanent than durable. And uh, that's the reason uh, why they burnt them. And for cement, well, they used uh, slime or aspol, uh, which they had. And so they, they're creative already. You can see man is not a, a dud. He's not a foolish person, even at these early stages in life, as uh, evolution may tell us. He's creative and intelligent. But yet, he's using his creativity and he's using his intelligence for a wrong purpose, for a sinful purpose, and uh, to build uh, this tower uh, and the city in direct disobedience against God. And that's, we see that happening, isn't it, as well today. People using the gifts that God has given to them, people using their creative gifts and their intelligence which they have, which makes them so much higher than the animals, and they come up with inventions, and we often find there's a good aspect to it, and there's a bad aspect to it, isn't it? We find, for example, with the Gutenberg printing press, which came out in the early 16th century, around that time. And, well, that was a wonderful uh, invention, and now we have, we're able, they were able from that time on to print books uh, very easily. But now we see so many books coming out, which are well, sinful books, really put it mildly. And uh, some of, of course, many of the books are, are also good, but many also uh, are against God. Books even which promote atheism, promote sin in different ways, promote immorality. Well, we can think as well of the internet, another thing. Great invention, fantastic piece of intelligence behind that. People who have come together and build that. But uh, again, a good side to it and a bad side to it. The bad side, of course, as we know, so many people misuse it for immoral purposes. And uh, I mean, thank God we, there are good things to it. But man is never very good at, uh, he often spoils the things which uh, God has given him, misuses the gifts, just like uh, is happening here with this big group of people. Well, verse, uh, in verse 4, they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Most likely, I think it was Nimrod who was uh, leading the way. And he seems to be the one who is uh, instigated, the one who has proposed uh, this uh, this scheme of setting up home in, in the land of China. We read in chapter 10 and verse 10 uh, that uh, he was a kingdom, a builder. Not only was he a mighty hunter, but a, in verse, chapter 10, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and so on in the land of China. So it seems to be that uh, he is the instigator uh, of this uh, rebellion. And he it seems to come up with this plan and to suggest to the people and propose to them that instead of separating from one another, our strength, he says, is in staying together. 
Our strength is in being uh, united uh, together as one people. Look, we'll be stronger as a single unit. If we break up into all these smaller units, well, we'll be divided and uh, we're much better and stronger if we work together, we can accomplish uh, so much more. Uh, we're living together, we can be at peace with, with each other. And if anyone opposes us, any enemies come against us, well, we can fight together to oppose uh, them. Let's build a, a, a city, a, a capital city, which will be a, a magnificent a city, which will br bring the admiration of all the people who pass by it and will see this great city. And let it have a high tower, he says, that reaches all the way uh, to heaven. He's not, they're not actually going to build a high tower that reaches all the way. When I, when I was younger and I used to read that, I, I thought that they were actually trying to reach into the clouds and get to God in heaven. But uh, that's, it's not actually the case. It's this hyperbolic language, uh, language that is used to go extreme kind of language. So we have something similar. You remember with the spies? When the spies, the ten spies came back after going to check out uh, the land of Canaan, and they came back, and uh, they, uh, the unbelieving spies, they said about one of the, the things they said, the cities are great and walled up to heaven. Again, using that hyperbolic kind of language. Well defended, very strong uh, 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 places. And that's, that's what's uh, in mind here, that they wanted to build a tower for their defense and for the admiration of uh, the people. <clears throat> but uh, it was in direct contradiction uh, to what uh, God had said. Let us make us a name, they said. Let us be famous for this city that we build and for this tower. They were after renown. That's what it says in verse 4. Let us make us a name. And friends, uh, this act of uh, rebellion, uh, which was in direct contradiction to what God had said, this is the essence of sin, simply put. God says, do something. We say, I won't do it. God says uh, to the people here, scatter into the different parts of the world. They said, we will set up home here. We won't go into there. We'll stick together. We won't divide. They were, this is the essence of sin. It is a rebellion. Rebellion against God. Rebellion against His commandments. A refusal uh, to do uh, what He tells us uh, to do. Well, some people think about uh, this tower they, and they suggest that uh, perhaps it was raised uh, to be a place of safety uh, from a future flood. Perhaps they say uh, they were scared, they were fearful that the, uh, uh, the flood that they'd experienced not so long ago would take place again. And so they build this high tower so that they can run to it as a place of uh, refuge. But uh, God had already promised, had he not, that he wouldn't send such a deluge on the earth again. But even if they were fearful of a flood, uh, still they would hardly have built it uh, on a plain, on such a low-lying, low flat piece of land. They would have gone much higher. They would have gone to the mountains and built a safe place in the mountains for them uh, to resort to. Other people think and suggest that the tower was built as an idol temple, 
but really, there's, I think there's no indication uh, of that in the text. But what the text does tell us that it was made uh, for a name uh, for themselves. Let us make us a name, they said, regarding uh, the city and the tower. It was to get a name for themselves, to get glory uh, for themselves, the admiration of people. This is what we, as humans, as men, can achieve. This is how far we can go. Isn't what we build grand? Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it brilliant what we've done together? We built it without God. We built it by ourselves, by our own wisdom, by our own skill, by our own handiwork. We've come together as people and built this great and wonderful city and tower. Humanism, friends. This is what is here. Uh, humanism, the deliberate excluding of God uh, from, uh, from life. The leaving him to one side and say, we can get along with, uh, with life without God. And we can do marvelously well without God. I don't know if you've ever been to the Humanist UK website, but this is what they say. This is what they advocate and promote. Uh, I quote, they, they say, this is their, their aim, to bring non-religious people together, as in, as in here, bringing people together, to develop their own views and an understanding of the world around them. Oh, that's up to them, we may say. Leave it to them. Let them get on quietly in their little corner. They're not really a big group. but They're active group, just like so many of the groups today. They're very small in number. Uh, the LGBTQ group is a small percentage of the population, but they've got a very loud voice, and they have a very public voice, and they're not sitting quietly in the corner. They're out with the objective to change the society in which we live, and they've had tremendous success, sadly. And it's the same with the humanists. The humanists have a campaign. You can go to the website and you see for yourself they're actively working against our society to bring it down, to remove God from the agenda. They're active in trying to remove uh, creation and intelligent design from the school curriculum. This is one of their main objectives. Get rid of it. And they bring on board their, their group people who, who are in the media, like David Attenborough, to speak on their behalf and to promote. And so, oh, David Attenborough is saying that. And everybody listens. The government listens. Government listens to them. And they, uh, uh, they've had an effect. They've had an effect, friends, on, on the curriculums. And even trying with the state schools especially. Uh, they, they, they say about uh, funerals. <laughs> funerals should focus on the person who died. Uh, and not on the afterlife. This is the secularism that uh, they are trying uh, to bring into all different parts of our uh, society, a life that deliberately excludes God and glorifies man and lifts up man. Well, let's uh, move on. The Lord, what's he going to do? The Lord comes down to see uh, the city and the tower which the children of men uh, builded. He knew, of course, all along <laughs> what, uh, what is happening. He is the omnipresent God. He is everywhere present. And because he is everywhere present, he is the omniscient God. 
He knows uh, all things. He knows all that's happening. Uh, but he comes down here. It's written in this way for our uh, benefit. The Lord comes to inspect, to examine, to see for himself all that is going on and to deal with it. The Lord comes down, we could say, to interfere with what man is doing. Oh, leave us alone, Lord. Don't interfere with our project. Don't interfere with our scheme. But he won't. Uh, they don't want him in. They want to be left to their own uh, devices. But God will not uh, permit that. God, friends, does intervene in human affairs. Some people like to think of him as a God who is just far away and unconcerned and uninvolved in this world. And they like it to be that way. But he's not. The Bible tells us, this verse tells us, that God intervenes in human affairs on an individual level, on a national level, and on an international level also. He is actively involved. Sometimes it seems like he is not doing anything. Sometimes it seems like God is not responding, but he won't be sidelined permanently. He will uh, come down and deal uh, with things. And this is and he, here he comes uh, to uh, spoil uh, the, the, the scheme, to put an end to it. And we see the amazing way in which uh, he does it, an unusual way in which he, he spoils uh, this project of man. Verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Wow, that's a good thing, isn't it? The people are all united. They've made considerable progress in building, but... This, uh, this kind of unity is going to puff them all up with pride. If they advance further, well, they will give them a sense of invincibility. And they will feel, well, from now on, we've, we've achieved this building and this tower by our own hands. Nothing's going to be impossible for us uh, to do. Nothing will uh, prove difficult. They will stop at nothing, God says. They have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined uh, to do. And so in verse 7, uh, God uh, confounds uh, their language and their speech. Uh, one language before, now many different languages. And they cannot uh, communicate uh, with each other. Not only did they start speaking brand new languages... But it's, it must have been that they lost the ability to speak the original language that they had. Because they, it's not as if they were added a second and a third language. They lost that initial ability to speak, uh, or that ability to speak the, the original language. And people began speaking by families a different language. Pass me that brick, said one worker to another. And the other one looked at him, bewildered and bemused. What's he going on about? And he turns to a third person and says, what did he say? And the third person doesn't understand what, he, what the second person says. And that confusion, not being able to understand, not being able to communicate, of course, it's obvious they cannot uh, work uh, together. And uh, the lines of communication are broken. It's impossible, isn't it, to carry on uh, working uh, together. And here we see, friends, this is what God did he brought about all these different languages here at the Tower of Babel. 
And this is the origin of all uh, languages. Today in the world there are over 7,000 uh, languages uh, which are spoken. And uh, most of us can speak only one or two of them. It's very hard, very difficult. But what a barrier that is when we want to communicate with people who speak a different language. How hard it is. And if we decide to learn or choose to learn, as I did, uh, a different language, oh, it's, it's very, very difficult. Uh, especially if you choose a language like Chinese or Japanese, it's even more difficult if, you're, if your initial language, your original language is uh, English. But it's a barrier, isn't it, to mankind getting along uh, in the world. You only have to look, <coughs> excuse me, at the United Nations. Uh, we, United Nations, well, it cannot function without its interpreters. It cannot uh, work and operate as it does. But it's a reminder to us. The different languages should be a reminder to us of this rebellion against God. Just like so many other things in, in, in the world should be a reminder to us of our sin. Here is another thing uh, to remind us. Now, evolutionists, they tell us that we went from uh, grunting <laughs> to intelligible, coherent uh, speech. And that humans uh, evolved language in order to communicate with one another. But they cannot explain why there are so many different languages. Why do we have such a plethora of languages in the world? Because that's a, a barrier to communication. Instead of advancing mankind, it's actually a hindrance. And even one of their own, an evolutionary biologist, a professor, a British professor, uh, that is asking the same question, and he said, why, why would humans evolve a system of communication that prevents them communicating with other members of the same species? Why would you do that? Why would it happen? It doesn't make any sense. But when you, it's a very good question uh, to ask. But here, uh, we, when we go back to the biblical explanation for languages, it all makes sense. It's not evolved, uh, as they say, uh, according to evolutionary theory, is for the, the strengthening of man, you know, that man would become better and better. But uh, this plethora of languages doesn't explain that. Only the Bible explanation here in the Tower of Babel <coughs> explains it uh, to us. So, <coughs> and then, uh, excuse me. <coughs> so then, uh, moving on, just, uh, just going back actually to that thought about unity. Uh, the unity, the people are, are one, God said, and indeed they were one, they were united, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't infighting there, they did seem to have something, uh, a, a truly united spirit amongst them. It was something people may think, well that's a good thing, isn't it, to be united, uh, it's something commendable. Is God against unity? Well, not, not at all, friends. We know God is for unity. But the thing was, this once again was a man-made unity. It wasn't a, a God-given unity. It was a unity without the Lord. A man-made unity, a, a hand joining in hand. The people had devised uh, this scheme to keep them all uh, together in one place and united. But God was not in their scheme. And we see uh, this also, uh, this kind of fake uh, humanity, uh, sorry, unity, 
a false external kind of unity in the ecumenical movement. In the ecumenical movement, as you know, we see the different religious uh, men who uh, desire uh, to bring people of different faiths uh, together, different groups coming uh, together to put on uh, a united front and say, look, all the religions of the world, we are all united together to serve the one, uh, one true God. And you see this, uh, on, it's very visible on state occasions, especially at the weddings and the funerals of important people. You see the different religious groups uh, who are gathered there. But it's not of God, friends. That's not biblical unity. In their case, truth is secondary. In the ecumenical movement, truth takes second place. And uh, what is primary is unity, as all coming together. So we can ditch doctrines that we differ on, or we don't talk about doctrines that we differ on, especially something like salvation and how to get to heaven and how to know that our sins are forgiven. Oh, the Catholics believe one thing and the Protestants believe another. Well, we won't, we won't talk about that. We'll put that to one side uh, so that we can be united. That kind of talk divides people and we don't want to uh, engage in, in division of that sort. It's a man-made uh, idea. Churches together in England, again, it boasts about uniting one of the broadest range of churches in the whole of Europe. And they, they have in their groups Anglicans, Catholics, Pentecostal, charismatic people, all coming together. And outwardly it looks good, oh, the Christians are united, but it's only an external, artificial kind of uh, unity. True unity, friends, the biblical unity which binds men and women together is a spiritual unity. It's the unity based on truth. A unity where, uh, which is based upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This is, where you, this is what unites us uh, together in the church. That we love the same Savior. That we have faith in the same Savior. That we have given our lives uh, to the Savior. That we uh, believe the same things, those fundamental things that are revealed in the Scripture. This is what unites us. This is the biblical, spiritual, it's a spiritual unity, not an external unity that is in mind. When we look at the church, we look even at our small church, small as it is, well, we have people from different uh, nationalities and different lands joined together, united together as one. Uh, uh, even though we are, some are from Asia, some are from Africa, and some are from uh, this country, of course, but we are united uh, in the Lord. And when we look at heaven, what will heaven be like? What's the, though there'll be people from all different tribes and tongues and languages and nations, all united in Christ because of that faith that they had in Jesus Christ. And we read of that in Revelation chapter 7 and verse uh, 9. So friends, uh, this is true uh, unity that we, we aim for, a spiritual one. God confounded uh, their languages and so they couldn't understand uh, one another. The city uh, was called uh, we read Babel, which means uh, confusion. Uh, because the Lord did there uh, confound the language of all the earth. Confusion at this time, but one interesting point uh, here is you go to the New Testament 
and you go to the day of Pentecost, and on the day of Pentecost, you remember how there was the, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they got up and they started speaking in other tongues. God gave them languages at that particular time. For what purpose? So that the Jews who were gathered from all the different parts of the world there in Jerusalem could hear in their own dialect and their own language the wondrous works of God, the things which God had done. God gave tongues there for a good purpose, for the spread uh, of uh, his word, for the spread of the gospel. Well, uh, <coughs> so the Lord used, uh, friends, uh, this uh, confusion of, of languages uh, to scatter the people. And they left uh, by families and by language. Uh, they stuck together, as we said last, last time. Uh, God didn't separate families, but they emigrated to the places that had been allotted to them. Not in a haphazard way, but in a very ordered uh, uh, way, an orderly departure. And we read there in verse 9, of, And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad, upon all the face of the earth. But in verse 8, they left off uh, to build the city. Babel is left, half built, a monument, you could say, to what happens to those who choose to build and to leave God out of their lives. Those who choose to fight against God will never, ever be successful. 